0: you're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, Love Like Christ. Love Like Christ. The past couple of uh, sermons in this sermon series that we've been going through, Like Christ, our goal has been to see how we can be more like Christ and more like disciples of Christ. And we've mentioned in the past that to be a disciple in general meant that you had to be like the rabbi, the, the teacher that you were following in ancient times. The way that the, your rabbi talked, the way that your, your rabbi moved and did things, you were to follow in every way. And the same goes for us who call ourselves disciples of Christ. We are to be like Christ in every way. And we've been using this sort of as a platform to jump off and, and, and really look at and reevaluate our mission as a church, Reach, Revolve, Reflect and really see how we can be more like Christ in those mission statements. In the first sermon, we talked about how we can cultivate lives that revolve around the will of God, similar to how Christ did and what motivated Him. We saw that during the temptation of Christ in the first sermon. And, of course, last week we looked at how we can have a similar heart for the loss as Christ did, and we looked at the three parables um, for that and, and saw really just how, how the, the, the joy and the, the delight that the Father has whenever a sinner truly repents and turns to him for forgiveness. Now this week we're looking at our final mission statement to reflect the love of Christ within our communities, and we're going to look at, once again, the heart of Christ what it consists of, how, how specifically, how his love looks like, how his love, um, how he communicated and demonstrated his love to his disciples, the characteristics of that. Listen, if there is any characteristic in the Bible, in the Christian faith, in the church, that that is a distinctive of what a Christian ought to be, what a Christian should be, or or how Christians should behave, it is the characteristic of love that is the number one distinctive of a believer in fact even in our the same chapter that we just read through at the very end towards uh, verse 35 it says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another not whether we we, we go and pray a lot of other uh, religious groups pray not if we go to some sort of house of worship a lot of other uh, religious groups go to a building for worship but whether or not we love. Now, if we just left it at that, we can go crazy and take it in, in various places, as the world often does. Yet, and so why it's, this is why it's so important to go into Scripture and really see how Christ himself loved. The, the characteristics of Christ's love that we ought to imitate, that we ought to emulate here in this uh, world. Because, again, the world has its own definition of love. You've heard the phrases before, love is love, right? And oftentimes, people distort and even abuse love itself, and they make it into and define it into their own terms. Christ's definition of love is unlike the world. It's more superior. It's grounded in truth. It does not enable sin, as we'll see in our passage. Christ's love is is the epitome. It is the definition of true and perfect love it is unlike the world, and our hope for us this morning as we reflect on, once again, our mission statement to reflect Christ's love within our communities and our various uh, communities is that we truly understand the characteristics of Christ's love, that, that we would exemplify that kind of love in our church, in our families, in our homes, in our, in our workplaces, in our schools, that we truly would be like Christ even in our love. So let's jump into our text, and I'm going to give some context first for our passage. If you've ever heard the story before of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, then you would know that this takes place during the Passover, right before, well, during the Last Supper, in fact, and right before Jesus would be betrayed by Judas and be crucified on a Roman cross. And... And what we read, what we don't get from John chapter 13, but we do get in the other Gospels, specifically Luke chapter 22, is that during this time in the Last Supper, sort of the final hours of Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that there's a dispute that happens between the disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, it says that a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So here were the disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus fully know, knowing that he's about to go to the cross, and the disciples are arguing about who is best, who is Jesus' favorite disciple. Of course, it's funny because in, in John's gospel, he flat out calls himself the, 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 the beloved of the Lord, or, or, or the one whom Jesus loved, right? He takes that title for himself. But that's the context of this situation, right? Jesus is is at his last supper. He's about to be betrayed, about to go to the cross, and the disciples are arguing. They're disputing amongst themselves. And in order to correct this mentality that the disciples had in that moment, we see this act of humility. We see this act of of servanthood from, from the Savior himself. Jesus demonstrates and communicates the love that these disciples should be showing to one another and we know that that's the, the the intent of christ because look at verse one of our passage again let's go through this it says in verse one of chapter 13 now before the the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end he loved them to the end Jesus knew that his time had come, that this would be his final act, and he would go ahead and love his disciples. He would show one final demonstration of his love towards his disciples. Now, this must be a very strange thing. Because I don't know about you. Very strange. Because I don't know about you, if this was your last day on earth, if if tomorrow you knew that, you know, you know you know God forbid you're going to kick the bucket, right uh, who would here who here would sign up for uh, manual labor right? Who here would, would start okay I, i'm gonna, I'm going to kick the bucket, better start cleaning the floors right before I go. I don't know about you, but I would want to enjoy my, my last hours with my family with my loved ones, maybe, maybe travel as far as I can go before I kick the bucket or or, or just, again, just, just maybe enjoy something that I never got to enjoy in life. That's often what a bucket list is. But yet here we see in the final hours of Christ, he chooses to, once again, serve his disciples, to wash his disciples' feet, <laughs> manual labor. And what escalates sort of this weirdness and the strangeness of this, this event, of this, this scenario, is that it doesn't... It doesn't distinguish between whose, whose feet Jesus washes. Meaning, and look at verse 2, look at this. In verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that's when he goes and washes the disciples' He knew that Judas was there to betray him, but yet it doesn't distinguish or it doesn't say in our passage that Jesus sort of skipped Judas in the process of washing his disciples' feet. It, Luke even goes as far as saying that in Luke chapter 22, it says that then Satan himself entered into Judas. Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the 12. So he, literally the devil was inside Judas, but yet here was Jesus still washing Judas' feet. No distinction between Judas or the disciples. Despite all of that, again, despite the entire circumstances, the, the, his last night, the disciples arguing, bickering amongst themselves, and Judas already being possessed to, to go and betray the, the Savior, he washes his disciples' feet just to show them love. Now, here's the first thing we can learn from this. If we want to love like Christ, we need to love completely. Love completely. Despite circumstances, despite suffering, despite what we must endure, despite the the enemy that we face, despite the hardships at the table, the bickering of the disciples, we must love like Christ. To the end, as as our passage says. Our passage even says in verse 3, right? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He knew that his time was up, that he was going back to the Father, that he was going to be crucified and go back to the Father, yet he chooses to love his disciples. The point is this, right? To love like Christ means we cannot love when it's convenient. To love like Christ means we cannot simply love when it's convenient for us. When circumstances are perfect, when we're all getting along, when when everybody likes the same shows and likes the same things and we're all friends, and there's no one trying to stab our backs, right? When everyone is in the same mindset as you. Those are the perfect circumstances, the perfect times that we can, that we can love one another, right? But again, to love like Christ means we cannot love simply when it's convenient. To love only when it's convenient, meaning, it, well, really, that's not love at all. That's more like selective caring, right? You pick and choose when you're going to show affection, when you're going to love on someone. And really, that's sort of the kind of love that the world presents. With all this talk of inclusivity, right, and and people's rights and equality, all that stuff. The world really only loves and accepts you as long as you accept and affirm or agree with them. As long as you're saying the same thing, as long as you're not going against sort of the grain of the of society and their doctrines and their ideologies, then yeah, yeah, sure, you're you're, you're loved, you're welcome into our group. But if you if you go against all that, guess what? You're canceled, right? You're a bigot, right? Or even or, or or even the sense of of when it gets hard in relationships, according to the world, when it gets hard, just find a new relationship. Get a divorce, uh, ghost them, as the kids would call it, right? Find someone else. But, that, that, but as we know from Scripture, that's not what true godly love is, the kind of love that we are to practice, the Christ's love that we are to reflect. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the famous love chapter of the Bible, it says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus loved the disciples to the end, knowing full well who would betray him, and the suffering that was to come. So here's the application for us: in the same way, we are to love completely. Not only loving when it's easy or convenient, not only when when people are agreeing with us. You know, I've I've been in ministry for quite some time. I'm still a young guy, no doubt, but I've been in ministry for quite some time, and. You quickly realize as, uh, as you go along that even in Christian circles, you're not going to agree with everyone. Even in Christian cir- circles, you're not going to like everyone or have the similar mindsets. That there's going to be friction, there's going to be disputes, arguments. But that's okay. Because in First Corinthians, right before that famous love chapter, Paul talks about the, the body of Christ. And how there's various parts to it. How not everybody is the same and not everybody is a hand and not everybody is a, a, an eye and not everybody's a mouthpiece. But there's different parts in the body of Christ so that it can function well. So that it can function well. Yet despite our differences, despite our roles, our giftings, all of that, we are to love. We are to still love. Not only love those who love us back too, right? You know, I think uh, I was thinking this past week as I was studying this word, uh, thinking why Judas or why Jesus washed Judas's feet, why Jesus even kept Judas around. If if God needed someone to betray the Savior, Jesus had plenty of enemies, right? He could have used anyone else to betray Jesus, but yet he used, or, or the, the man that was supposed to betray him, he kept in his inner circle amongst the twelve. And I was thinking, why was this the case? And I, I, maybe there's more reasons, but I think the most immediate reason that we see it, especially in our passage, is that simply Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loved Judas. Despite knowing from the very beginning, if you read all the Gospels, whenever uh, Jesus elects his disciples and chooses his disciples, whenever Judas' name, right from the beginning, Jesus knew who he was. Yet, here is Jesus continuing to fellowship with him, continuing to invite him into the inner circle. Why? Because Jesus loved Judas. And I believe that happens because it's, it's there to serve an example of Christ's love for even his enemies even the man that would betray him even what we would maybe even consider the worst of the worst it's to demonstrate his love even for his enemies and and this act of washing feet was to demonstrate a sincerity to that love it wasn't just okay you know i know you're going to betray me judas so you can hang out with me until you betray me it wasn't an it wasn't an obligation for christ Which I think oftentimes we feel whenever we we hear the word, you know, whenever we hear in churches that we have to love one another. It's like, oh, I guess I got it because I'm a Christian, right? But the act of washing feet was so intimate and was to demonstrate such a sincerity from the Savior's heart that he truly did love even Judas Iscariot. In the same way, we must love our enemies as well with much sincerity. And, and, you know, I believe, hopefully, that there are no enemies in the church, right? No one's looking around, so great, fantastic. And I believe, and that's and that's a, that's a good thing, but to, maybe to a lesser degree then, we are to love even when people don't love us back necessarily. Even when we don't receive the kind of love that we think that we deserve or we, we desire. You know, sometimes I think the temptation in churches, in church circles is that, how do, I, how do I love someone else when they don't check up on me? When they don't pray for me? When they don't talk to me after service during fellowship? How do I love them when they're not approaching me? But the call we see in scripture is, is not to, to love only if they love you first, but to love first. Be the first to love. To to be the first to, to have care, to have compassion, to bless, to encourage, to encourage the, the other believer first. Again, even if they don't love you back. So to love like Christ means to love completely. Love completely. So Jesus goes through this sort of methodical process of washing his disciples' feet as we read in our passage. Then in verse 6, he comes to Simon and says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I love Peter, by the way. This is great. Who thinks that... So I, I, I think that... Peter's response here is coming more so from embarrassment than rather some sort of self, like maybe a righteous uh, indignation at the thought that Jesus is washing his feet. Because if you think about it, right, foot washing in ancient times, that job was reserved for who? The servants servants of the home, especially if you're a, 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 a sort of a rich person in, in, in Jewish society, you would have servants, and when you invite guests over, they would come from a long travel, I'm sure, and they had sandals, so they had to wash their feet. The servants would be the ones who wash their feet. So in this case, we know that the disciples and Jesus were just renting out a room for the Last Supper, according to the other Gospels. So there wouldn't be servants, so to speak. There wouldn't be a particular host in this case, since it was an intimate event, this dinner. So whose job was it then, if there's no servants, whose job was it then to wash whose feet? It was the disciples. It was the disciples' job to wash Jesus' feet, their rabbi, their master. It was the disciples' duty to do that, That job. Yet here again, the situation is that they were too busy bickering and arguing amongst themselves that they forgot to do this one uh, practice. They didn't wash the they didn't wash the Savior's feet. And so I believe this is this response of Peter is very much uh, out of embarrassment on maybe on two levels really. Maybe he was thinking, "Hold on, wait a minute. I should be doing this. I should be the one washing." Jesus' feet. Or on the other hand, he could be thinking, why is my rabbi doing this? He shouldn't be washing people's feet. He's, he's, my, he's my master. He, 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 that, that's reserved for the servants. He's no servant. But yet, Jesus turns this whole thing around because he has this very specific purpose as to why he's, he, he's washing his disciples' feet. There is symbolism to here, And he says this in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Again, here he said to, uh, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, this whole ceremony of washing the disciples' feet was essentially a foreshadow. A foreshadow of the sacrifice that Jesus would ultimately make on the cross to cleanse his, his disciples in a spiritual sense. Because again, we know that we're sinners. We're, 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 our sin is what makes us dirty, unclean. And, and it is Christ's blood on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that washes us clean. We read this all throughout scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 9, everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians chapter 1 it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So Jesus had specific purpose, symbolic purpose to why he was washing the disciples feet. It was to demonstrate his ultimate display of love on the cross as he sheds his own blood so that they would be forgiven of their sins. That's why Jesus says, if I don't wash you, if I don't clean you, not, not in this physical sense with the washing of the feet, in the sense of washing, you away, washing away your sins with my, my sacrifice on the cross, then you have no part with me. You have no share with me. That's what Jesus is getting at with Peter. This whole act of love, this whole act of washing his disciples' feet was to to illustrate, was to communicate Christ's sacrificial love on the cross. In the same way, if we want to love like Christ, then we must love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. Love must cost us something. Love must cost us something to demonstrate it, to communicate it, it must cost us something. It's interesting the detail that John includes in, his, in, in, in this passage. In verse 4, if you, read, if you go back to that, it says that Jesus rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. I love that phrasing that he used, that he laid aside his outer garments. Because it parallels what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, Jesus, talking about Jesus here, emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This whole ordeal of foot washing was not just a symbolism of what Christ would ultimately do on the cross and in his sacrifice and in cleansing his disciples of their sins, but also also to communicate the incarnation of Christ. The fact that God, the God the Son, veiled his divinity, set aside his divinity and took on the form of a man to die also like a man, a servant, in order to cleanse sinners. All of this, this him taking off his garments, him taking off uh, his clothing, just to be able to wash his disciples' feet, was meant to illustrate the lengths in which God himself had gone through had 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 to go through just to be able to save those he loves to save and cleanse those he loves his specifically his bride the church Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 I love this passage always preach it when I you know when when I do a wedding But this communicates the the lengths in which Christ has gone through for the sake of his beloved, his bride, the church. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. That's the call, not just for husbands, but for every believer to love one another sacrificially, similar to how Christ loved the church, giving himself up, giving his very own life up for her. This, by the way, sort of as a side note, points to the reality that Christ's love does not enable sin. This points to reality that Christ does not, that Christ's love, as much as he loves us, does not enable sin. Despite some churches saying, you know, you can, you can follow after God and you can love Jesus, but not have to sort of change your lifestyle, not have to repent. The world says, uh, the world says, love me, affirm me, you know, affirm my sin, accept my sin. But yet Christ says, I love you. That's why I'm going to cleanse you of your sin. I love you, that's why I've, I've come to die for your sin. Even if it costs him his life. Again, this is a great image of how, of how Christ, loved, even in that love chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love does not delight in evil, in wrongdoing. So uh, all of that to say, the application of, for us this morning is if we want to love like Christ and we have to love sacrificially, our love to one another must cost us something. Maybe ask yourself, right? Do you go out of your way to demonstrate or to communicate, reflect Christ's love to another person? To, as we see Christ's example, to humbly serve someone else, to serve others. Are you willing to to? Sacrifice the, your, 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 your time, talents, and treasures just to reflect Christ's love. You put the needs of others, of the church, even before your own. Again, the world's kind of love is self-seeking oftentimes. out to gain something for uh, themselves. It's like a transaction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care for you this way. I'm going to love you this way in order to receive something back, in order to gain something in return. But that's not the kind of love that we are to reflect. The that, that scripture calls us to reflect. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of love that we are to demonstrate with one another. The kind of love that we are to reflect. Jesus set aside his position, his glory. He veiled his divinity. In, this, in the context of this, this passage, he, he set aside his title as the master, as a rabbi, and lowered himself to the, the, the status of a servant just to wash his disciples' feet, just to communicate that love to his disciples. There's a lot of sacrifice there. We must, if we want to love like Christ, we must love sacrificially. Let's go on to verse 12 of our passage. It says in verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Just a quick question, who, who thinks this is about washing feet? Of course, it's not because we just went through, you know, the whole symbolism. Hopefully, you were listening to that. This isn't about washing feet. What Jesus is saying when he's calling his disciples to wash one another's feet—it's not simply about that. It's not—it's not a matter of washing one another's feet. Although some churches practice this uh, this tradition of washing one another's feet, but again, remember the context of everything that's going on—the context of this this scene. Uh, let's look at Luke twenty-two, the, where they're having this dispute. Luke 22, verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. It shouldn't be the same with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. The whole point of this scenario is that Jesus was trying to, trying to sort of re-educate the disciples on position and authority and who ought to serve. Again, the disciples were bickering about who was the greatest Jesus' point in that whole passage. is: Don't be like the world, self-seeking, all about authority and power, all about having the right titles. Don't be like the world. Instead, serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. The example Jesus sets for his disciples in our passage, what he calls the disciples to do in, in, in the end of our chapter there is to love one another in service, to humble oneself in love and and, and to to constantly, to faithfully love one another. What's interesting is that in that that passage that we just read where it says in, in verse 15, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you, the word example in the original Greek is better translated as pattern, pattern. It's not just an example to do at any single moment in time, but to develop a lifestyle, a pattern of living, a pattern of thinking where you are constantly in a mindset of serving and loving one another. Again, it's not just a one-time deal, but it is a repeated sentiment, a constant, a way of life. And we know that this is Jesus' intention in this passage, because in, later on in that chapter, in verse 34 and 35 of John 13, it says, Jesus says this after that, whole, after that whole scene of washing the feet. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment a rule to live by, a standard of life to live by. It's not just a one act. It is a pattern of life. One, it, is, it is to be recognized. Again, as we talked about in, in, in the beginning of this sermon, is that love is the way that we are recognized as believers, as followers of Christ. It, that is why we must live a life of love, live by this rule of loving one another. And so if we want to be more like Christ in how we love and how we reflect love to one another, we must love faithfully. Love faithfully. That great love chapter of uh, the Bible that I've been mentioning throughout this sermon, 1 Corinthians 13, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, starting from verse 4, love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Maybe as I'm reading this, maybe check off for yourself how your love looks like. Because I'm getting hit already in, you know, in this list already. Right? It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I love this. This is the pinnacle of the criteria of, of this agape love, this godly love that Paul gives us in this passage. He says, love never ends. That is the perfect kind of love. Love never ends. You know, this is a great litmus test to see if the kind of love that you have reflects the kind of love that Christ has. Love never ends. He goes on to say, as as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will all pass away. But the point he's making is that despite all of that going away, love never ends. Everything else will fade, everything else will cease. But the perfect, the sincere, the genuine love, agape love must remain. You know, Similar to uh, Paul in this passage is talking to the Corinthian church who is in a similar context as the disciples in Christ at the Last Supper here. In the chapter before that, Paul addresses the body of Christ and how the, the Corinthian church were bickering amongst themselves about who had the greater gift and Paul goes on to say that I'll show you a more excellent way. I'll show you the the greater quality that we ought to demonstrate as believers and that's when he gets into this love chapter in chapter 13. That is the kind of love that we are to reflect. A faithful kind of love. A love that never ceases. A love towards one another. And why is that? Why is it that that's the characteristic? Why is it that a faithful love a never ending love is the kind of love that we must reflect? Because Christ's love is faithful because Christ's love never leaves us or forsakes us. His love, despite our shortcomings, despite our sins, despite us running away, our wanderings in this world, Christ's love never ceases. That's the kind of love that we are to reflect, that we are to demonstrate faithfully. Church, right? We we cannot claim to reflect the Savior's love and not be faithful at it, to not be constant at it, to not be consistent at it. Let me ask you a question, right? When was the last time that you checked up on a brother or a sister in Christ? Does your love only extend to when you see them here at the church or even outside of these walls? When was the last time that you've, you've kept up with the struggles of a brother? The heartaches of a sister? You know, as I was, again, just preparing and reflecting on this sermon, I felt so much guilt on this point. Because if we look around us in this room, there are faces, brothers and sisters, that we have not seen for two or three years. And I'm not talking about the ones who got married and, you know, who officially said, okay, you know, I'm married now and I'm going to go to a different church or whatever it is. But we have had brothers and sisters that we called family, who we did life together, that we, did, that we walked with in their faith that we have not seen in two or three years. Have we gone out to reach out to them? Have we gone out to, 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 to greet them? communicate once again that they're loved, that, that we want to see them again, that we want them back, that, that we care for their needs. You know, I, I get it. We, I get the excuses, right? I, I, I have the same excuses as everybody else. I'm busy. My life is busy. I got my own stuff to deal with. Could you imagine if that's how Christ felt towards us? I got the entire universe to deal with. I'm busy. Sorry, guys. I can't answer your prayers. I have no time. Church, we are to love without ceasing, love faithfully. Similar to even the, 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 the passages that we, that we looked at last week and the different illustrations at the lengths in which God Himself has gone to go reach out to the sinner. I, I, again, so much guilt and conviction on my own self but I must ask you as well have you gone and reached out to those that we don't see in, our, in these chairs anymore in these pews the ones that we used to call brothers the ones we used to call sisters and I get it you know. There's, there's always a certain extent in which we can do so much and we can reach out so much but unless we have been trying we can't use that excuse We must love completely not when it's convenient not when they like us and they're up for coming to church or we must love sacrificially it must cost us something maybe it is our pride maybe it is our own sentiments of how we think we should look like or appear and finally we must love faithfully Not ceasing to love one another here's a challenge i want to give you churches you know the reason why we started with the sermon series at the start of 2023 is because we, we want to be more like christ in every aspect of our church as we go into the new year so here's a challenge for us church right fight to love one another fight to love one another to check up on one another, to, to see how each other is doing, to keep someone accountable, to, to call out a brother if they're, they're falling to sin and temptation, to encourage the sister, fight to love one another. You know, there's this passage in Romans chapter 12 where it says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This is the only time in scripture that calls us to competition, by the way. Outdo one another in showing honor, in loving one another, in caring for one another. That's how we love like Christ. That's how we love like Christ. Uh, just, just maybe another challenge for us as a church community, right? Can we, can we, in our language as a church, make I love you a common thing? Right? I, I know it's kind of weird telling someone that you love them, right? But don't make it weird. But, But if anything, if anything... If in any people group, in any community group where that language of I love you should be so common and so prevalent, it should be in the church, right? It should be where we follow the author of love, the one who defines love. Can we make that language of I love you, brother, and make sure you tag it like that, or I love you, sister, right? You know, we're not at the, the point of holy kisses yet, but let's start with, I love you, please, right? Just, can we make that a common thing in our community? Like before you go home this afternoon, when you're, when you're about to say goodbye, hey, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. Hopefully we'll see you next week, whatever it is. Let's make it a common thing. Make, let's make love a common thing in our community. Yes? As we close, here's the invitation for those who are lost, for those who do not know Christ or who have not experienced the love of Christ. The invitation for us from our passages from Jesus is that Jesus wants to wash your feet. In that some, symbolic way of receiving forgiveness of sin, of receiving his cleansing blood, Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. Whatever you've done, wherever you've come from, Whatever you've gone through, Jesus desires to wash your feet. That's his ultimate depiction of love. If you've ever questioned in your life whether or not God cares or whether or not God loves me, his ultimate depiction of his love is on the cross of Calvary. He gave himself up for you, for you and me, for our sins, that we might be received and accepted into his family. That's for the lost, for those who are found, for those who are believers. Love like Christ. Love like Christ. Let your, your, your love to one another be, be faithful. Never cease. Check up on one another. Outdo one another in honoring one another and, and caring for them. Blessing one another. Edify one another. Again, let love be a common thing in our church. You know, we have the team appreciation in just a couple of minutes here, but that is a perfect time to communicate your love for a brother or sister in Christ. To just recognize a brother or a sister for their efforts, for their labor for the Lord in the kingdom, for everything that they do in the community. This is a perfect time to communicate and demonstrate that love. Love someone like Christ today, church. Let's pray. Oh gracious God and heavenly Father we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you that you have loved us with a perfect love a love that at times is difficult to to live up to a love that we absolutely fall short of God, you are so good and you're so kind. You're so merciful that you love us nonetheless, that you call us your own nonetheless, that you have called us your children nonetheless. And so, Father God, as your children, or Jesus, as your disciples, would you cause us to live out and to reflect your love within our community, within our homes, Within our workplaces and in the world. That God, as the lost look in, as they see us, oh Lord, that they see truly something different. And may that, that different thing be the true and authentic definition of love which you demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. I pray, Father, that we would be able to share your love sincerely and genuinely. Amongst each other and even those that we may not get along with. Even those that we have different values or opinions. I pray, Father, God, that you would help us to love even our enemies, God. Just as you loved us. Who were once your enemies. Who were once rebels against your will. Yet you still loved us enough to come in the form of man and die on a cross. That we might be forgiven of our rebellion, of our sin. Instead of being called enemies, that we would be called your sons and daughters. Oh Lord, we declare that we love you. We want to love one another. Help us in this effort. We know that we can only do so in Christ. Praise these things. in Jesus in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.